Pastor, teacher, and author Adrian Rogers has introduced people all over the world to the love of Jesus Christ and has impacted untold numbers of lives by presenting profound truth simply stated. Thanks for joining us for this message. Here's Adrian Rogers. Take God's Word. Turn with me, please, if you would, to the book of James, chapter 2. James, chapter 2. And in just a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. I want to tell you that the Easter pageant, the Memphis Passion Play, was a great, great blessing. We saw hundreds and hundreds of people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And each night after this Memphis Passion Play, I would have the opportunity to stand up and explain to the people how to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And I would say to them, if you will just trust Christ, He will save you. You can be saved right now where you are. Well, we had a number of people who did just that. They prayed and asked Christ to come into the heart and marked on that card that they had prayed and received Christ. But I had several to write me notes. And they said, uh, Mr. Rogers, or Pastor Rogers, or Reverend Rogers, or whatever they might want to call me, they said, why did not you tell people what they really needed to do to be saved? I had one or two who wrote me and said, why didn't you tell them what the Bible says, that if they want to be saved, they need to be baptized, that no one can be saved without being baptized. I had another who said, why didn't you tell them that in order to be saved, not only did they need to be baptized, but they needed to speak in tongues if they wanted to be saved? Why did you just simply give this, quote, easy believism? End of quote. And just tell people if they'll just trust Christ, they'll be saved. Why didn't you tell them what the Bible says? Well, folks, I thought that's exactly what I was doing, but I want to make it clear tonight one more time what the Bible says about faith that saves or saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look, if you will, in James chapter 2, verse 14. This is where many people go astray because they do not understand what Brother James is saying. James is talking about salvation and works. And James says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Some translations give it this way. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Oh, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful for the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is D-E-A-D, -E dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God? Hmm, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The word here literally means they shudder. It's a word that means to make the hair stand up on the back of their necks. 
It actually comes from a word which means to stand up. They, they just shudder, tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works faith was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Whereas the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead also. <laughs> well, my dear friend, just a cursory reading of this passage makes it look like that we're not saved apart from works. I mean, you look at it and that's what it, it seems to say. So much that Martin Luther, when he first looked at this and studied it, carefully said, the book of James doesn't belong in the Bible. It is an epistle of straw. Until he continued to study and see exactly what God has said. Now, lest you think by reading this passage that I'm going to say that you're saved by works or by uh, grace plus works, I want to tell you, my dear friend, I want to say it with all of the unction, function, emotion, no stutter, no stammer, no equivocation, everything that I can muster, you are saved by grace and grace alone and faith lays hold of that grace. Now, I want you to get that in your mind. Just turn now back to Romans for a moment, and then we're going to bring Brother Paul and Brother James together and show you what Paul is saying and what James is saying. But turn with me now just for a moment to Romans chapter 4. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? That is, he's the father of the Jews. That's what it means as pertaining to the flesh. For if Abraham were justified by works, he had whereof the glory, but not before God. Paul says, listen, if works justified Abraham, he could strut. But no one can strut before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. <laughs> if you could work your way to heaven, you couldn't sing Jesus paid it all. You would have to say, Jesus owes me something. Because to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Hey, folks. Sounds like we have a problem here. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like James is saying, Abraham's justified by works. Paul is saying, no, he wasn't. He's justified by the grace of God without works of any kind. And so you have, to some people, a conundrum, a, a problem, an enigma here. They, they're trying to get it all straightened out. 
By the way, that Martin Luther, whose song we heard this morning, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, uh, was in the city of Rome on the Santa Scala, the holy stairs in St. John the Divine Church. And he was there on his knees with his rosary doing penance a step at a time. Those holy stairs, some think that Jesus ascended those stairs going into Pilate's judgment hall. And so they have those stairs there. And there's old Martin Luther. He's on his knees uh, climbing up, doing penance, trying to get right with God, trying to be saved by being a good man, praying and begging and, and pleading and trying by works to be saved. But all of this time Martin Luther had been doing something. He had been studying the book of Romans. And there while he was there on his knees, the Spirit of God took the Word of God and put a shaft of gospel sunlight into the heart of that man Martin Luther. And he heard the Scripture that he'd known so long, but he heard it in the innermost part of his being. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, the just shall live by faith. And he saw it clearly and plainly, what you and I know, what our children in Sunday school know, that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You see, dear friend, we are saved by the grace of God and by nothing else. Nothing else. You say, but what about James? I'm going to get to James in just a moment. But I don't want you to be confused. I want you to know before we ever go to this passage that James gave us, that salvation is by the grace of God and not of works of any kind. One of my favorite verses is Romans 11 and verse 6. I want you to look at it. You see, some people will say, well, maybe it's grace and works. Maybe we just take the two and we mix them together. Oh, no. The Bible says in Romans 11 and 6, and if by grace it is no more of work, otherwise grace is no more grace. The minute you add any works to grace, grace is no longer grace. And anybody who tries to be saved part by grace and part by works is a disgrace to grace. If by grace it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if by works it is no more of grace, otherwise work is no more work. <laughs> What's he saying? He's just simply saying you cannot, you cannot, you cannot Put together grace and works. You just can't do it. Now, there is so far the classic problem. I want you to imagine what the brother James is talking about. Now, let's just go back to James now that I've tried to lay a foundation so we can understand James a little better. Now, just go back to James chapter 2. That's really our text. We just took a little side trip over there to see what brother Paul would say. Now, we're back to James again. Okay, James the second chapter. Now, James imagines two men. They're having an argument. They're having sort of a religious argument. Now, both of them are claiming that they're saved. And one man says, well, I'm a child of God. I'm a believer. And the other man says, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You say that you're a believer? You say that you're trusting the Lord? He says, you show me your faith without your works. He says, I'll show you my faith by 
my works. Now, what's he saying? Look in verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show thee my faith by my works. Now, listen carefully and listen up, because if you don't, you're going to get sucked in to some false cult or something like that. By the way, dear friend, did you know that grace is exclusively Christian? Exclusively Christian. Jesus Christ has cornered the market on grace. Nobody else except our Lord teaches salvation by grace. There are only two kinds of religion in the world, grace and works. One spelled do, the other spelled done. I mean, dear, when Jesus died, he bowed his head on the cross and he said, it is finished, tetelestai, that means it is paid in full. So here are these two men in an argument. Verse 18 is the key to the whole thing. One man says, you show me your faith without your works. I will show you, I will show you, I will show you my faith by my works. Now, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about showing our faith by our works. Now, what these men are saying, really, one man says, well, I'm just saved by trusting the Lord. The other man says, oh, <laughs> faith without works is dead. There's no real contradiction here. They're heads and tails of the same coin. Now, what Paul was talking about in Romans 4 is justification before God. What James is talking about is justification before men. Now, we're justified in the sight of God, and God knows when I am justified when I trust Christ. He knows that, but you can't see that. I mean, you can't see that I have trusted Christ. All you can see is what I do, what I say, how I live. Isn't that right? That's all you can see. You can't see my faith. Anybody here can see my faith? If you say you can, you're lying. You can't see it. But you can see my works, right? So if I say that I have faith and you don't see my works, I can't be justified in your sight. Now remember, Paul is talking about being justified before God. James is talking about being justified before men. Paul is talking about the root of our salvation. James is talking about the fruit of our salvation. The root is beneath the ground. The fruit is hanging out on the tree, but the fruit is the proof of the root. Paul is talking about inward justification. James is talking about outward demonstration. Paul is talking about the provision of salvation. James is talking about the proof of salvation. Paul is talking about the means of salvation. James is talking about the marks of salvation. Paul is talking about a no-so salvation. James is talking about a show-so salvation. Now, they're not the same. They're very close, but they're different. Now, if you'll just remember this, you'll get it straight, I really believe. You are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Got it? You're saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. You are not saved by faith and works, but you're saved by faith 
that works. Have you got it? Now, if the, you might say, well, pastor, you're slicing it thin. No, I'm not. I am going to show you tonight from this passage of Scripture what James is saying. James is saying, don't just go around here saying that you believe in God, that you believe in salvation by grace through faith. If there has not been a radical, dramatic change in your life, if your religion hadn't changed your life, you better change your religion. You do not have the New Testament kind. But my dear friend, you do what you do, not in order to be saved, but because indeed you have been saved. Now, James is talking here about a dead faith, and I want us to do an autopsy on this dead faith, okay? Let's just take it apart and, and look at this dead faith and, and see why it is a dead faith. First of all, I want you to notice, beginning in verse 14, that a dead faith is profitless, and it brings a profitless profession. Notice here, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say that he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? Now remember it says literally, can that faith save him? That kind of faith. Can that kind of faith save him? Notice uh, what, what James is saying, though a man say. In other words, James doesn't say the man has real faith. He, he just says that he does. You see, everything that people say is not necessarily so. Just saying it doesn't make it so. I mean, you say, oh, I'm trusting the Lord. Well, it's one thing for you to say it, but are you really trusting the Lord? <laughs> Just to say that you are doesn't mean that you are. I was visiting in a hospital some time back, and I was praying with a, a, a person who was sick. And my wife tells me, Adrian, you cannot whisper. So be careful in public places. They hear you. Uh, block away when you're whispering. And so I was just praying with this woman in the hospital. And uh, our, an individual, I, I, I think it was a woman, and when I finished and I started to leave, I heard somebody across the hallway say, come see me too. I thought they were calling for a nurse. And I started to leave and they said, please come see me. And I wasn't sure whether it was I was the one they wanted or not. And I I came back and I looked in the room and I said, uh, were you talking to me? She said, yes. She said, I heard you praying. Are you a minister? I said, yes, I am. She said, would you please come in here and pray for me? She said, I'm afraid I'm about to die and I don't know God. I need to know God. I need to be saved. And this woman, a look at her, I could see that death was written on her. I've been in the hospital enough to, to know pretty much. And her face was white and her eyes were sunken back and her hair was spread out there on the pillow and she had a tortured look on her face because not only was she being tortured physically, she had no peace, no rest of soul. She said, would you please pray for me, I said, yes, ma'am, I will. She said, can you tell me how to be saved, how to go to heaven? I said, yes, ma'am, I can. And I explained to her how Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay her sin debt. And I said to her, ma'am, if you will trust Christ, just trust him, he'll save you. 
And I said, I'm going to pray for you, and then I want to lead you in a prayer. And I prayed for her, and then I said, now I want you to pray after me. Dear God, she said, dear God, I know that you love me. I know that you love me. I know that you want to save me. I know that you want to save me. You died to save me. You died to save me. You promised to save me. You promised to save me. If I would only trust you, if I would only trust you, I do trust you. I do trust you, she said. Right now, this moment with all of my heart, come to my heart, forgive my sin, and save me, she prayed. And then I looked at her, and she had still that look of agony on her face. Her brow was pinched. There was that fear that was still there. And she looked at me and she said, Reverend, I don't see how just saying that can do any good. And I said, ma'am, you're 100% correct. Just saying that can't do any good whatsoever. But I said, if you'll trust Jesus, he'll save you. She said, explain it again. I explained it again. I said, now let's pray again, dear God. She said, dear God. And I got to that part, I trust you to save me. She said, oh, I trust you to save me. And when I looked again, there was the light, the glory of heaven on her face. I said, did he save you? She said, I believe he really saved me. Now that's what James is talking about. Just uh, repeating pious phrases never saved anybody. But trusting Jesus is what saves you. Now James here is just talking about the man who has a glib uh, a religious vocabulary, but he has never had a divine encounter with Almighty God. And what James says about this dead religion is that it is profitless. It is profitless. Pious platitudes don't get you to heaven. The second thing he says about it, not only is it profitless, it is fruitless. It is a barren belief. Notice, if you will, in verse 18 and 19, he says, And even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 15 is what I really wanted. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you, know, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Uh, it doesn't do any good. Even so, verse 17, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. You see, because it is profitless, it is fruitless, it is barren. Now verse 18, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now, some people, dear friend, don't have any more faith than the devil himself. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. The devil is more orthodox than some preachers. He really is. He has more religion than some preachers. I mean, he believes more than some preachers. The devil 
has a certain intellectual belief concerning the gospel. Now, just keep your finger there in James and look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 8 here for a moment. Let's, let's see what the faith of the devil really is. Let's just see what the devil's belief is because your belief and the devil's belief may be very much alike. Uh, look here, if you will, in Matthew 8 and, and let's begin in verse 28. Speaks of Jesus, and when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, that is, demons, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out. Now, these demons in this man, listen what it says. Behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? That's orthodox. My dear friend, that's exactly who Jesus Christ is, thou Son of God. Now, you just turn to the book of Mark here and look with me in Mark chapter 1 here for a moment. I'm just talking to you right now about the belief of the devil. The devil believes. Mark chapter 1, look with me in verse 23, if you will. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. That's exactly who he is. <laughs> he is the Holy One of God. Not only Matthew, Mark, but just turn to Luke now and see what Luke says that the devil says about our Lord. Luke chapter 4 and verse 41. Jesus now is casting out demons, and the Bible says, and demons, that is, devils also came out of many crying out and saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. That's pretty orthodox, isn't it? That's exactly what James is saying over here. The devils believe and shudder. But now, dear friend, let me tell you about the faith that saves. Real faith doesn't cause people to shudder. It does just the opposite. It brings peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 1. Suppose when I give the invitation tonight, let's suppose the devil is sitting out there in human flesh. Let's hope he's not. <laughs> and he's not. But let's just say suppose he were. And the devil were to come down this aisle and meet one of our ministers. And he were to say, I want to place my membership in Bellevue Church. And that minister would say, well now, Mr. Devil, before you join Bellevue Church, we want to talk to you a little bit. Uh, uh, we want to see if you are theologically correct. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes, I do. Do you believe he was born of a virgin? Absolutely. Do you believe he died on the cross a vicarious death? Oh yes, I believe that. Do you believe that he was raised from the dead? Oh, yes. Well, Mr. Devil, if we receive you into our church, will you work? Oh, yes, I'll be glad to join the choir. <laughs> as a matter of fact, if you'll ordain me, I'll serve as a deacon. And as a matter of fact, if you'll let me, I'll be glad to preach. The devil himself is transformed as a minister of righteousness. <laughs> well... This man sounds like he is a great candidate for church membership. But just one more question, Mr. Devil, before we put our stamp of approval upon you. 
Will you submit to Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords? No, I will not. And he has not, and he never will. My dear friend, I want to tell you that in this congregation tonight, and some of you who are listening to me on radio, you think that you're going to heaven because you are orthodox, because you believe the facts of the faith and you know the plan of salvation. I want to tell you, you're not saved by the plan of salvation. You're saved by the man of salvation, and his name is Jesus. And you can believe all that stuff. The devils believe and tremble. What's wrong with a dead faith? My dear friend, it is profitless. It is fruitless. You may have an intellectual understanding of the gospel, but you're going to miss heaven by 18 inches because it's never gotten from here down to here where you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now listen, we're talking about a show-so salvation. Now, this faith is dead not only because it is a profitless profession and a barren belief, but not only is it profitless and fruitless, it is lifeless. Look, if you will, in verse 20. Now, here's James continuing to talk. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? It is profitless, it is fruitless, and it is lifeless. Faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imparted unto him, or imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only." Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, what is James saying? Look at it. He's saying the reason that that kind of faith doesn't save is because it's not true faith. It's dead faith. A man with that kind of faith is still dead in trespasses and sin. You see, a Christian is somebody who has the life of God. Now listen to me again. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It is not faith plus works, but faith that works. Now, James is not saying that works save. What James is saying is that real faith produces works. Real faith produces works. Even our English word believe comes from an old English, by live. What a man really believes, he lives by. The rest is just talk. Just talk. I had the, the privilege of talking with President George Bush about his salvation. We sat down and talked about it. And I was with our friend James Kennedy who's founded Evangelism Explosion. We were sitting in his library talking. He said, if you were to ask me what I'm trusting to get me to heaven, 
I would tell you that I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and I have trusted Him as my personal Savior and Lord. And I said to myself, boy, that sounds wonderful. But then he said, I would also say that I have endeavored to live by the Ten Commandments and to obey the golden rule. James Kennedy, who knows what I know tonight, said, uh, Mr. Vice President, he was Vice President then, in all due respect, sir, <laughs> you're not saved by good works of any kind, the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule or anything like that. You're saved by trusting Christ and that alone. Our President said, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. He said, are you trying to tell me that a man can simply say he believes in God and live any way he wants and go to heaven? I don't believe that. He said, my mother never used the term born again, but she loved God. She was a woman of prayer and faith and spent her life for other people. And said, if she's not in heaven, nobody is. Boy, I liked what he was saying. Because I like the idea that he believed that when a man believes in Jesus Christ, it ought to change his life. I like that. And I like the fact that he said he was trusting Christ as his personal Savior. Jim Kennedy said, Mr. Vice President, I wasn't saying those things are not important. I was just saying you don't do those things in order to be saved. He said, well, if you put it that way, I'll agree. Don't you like that? That's exactly the classic thing. That's the classic thing that James is talking about right here. James is just saying, don't come around here telling me you believe in Jesus Christ if it doesn't change your life, the way that you live. Now, friend, what's the Bible saying? There's no real contradiction. You're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And Paul is talking about a no-so salvation. James is talking about a show-so salvation. Now, James gives two examples and one illustration. And I want you to look at them. And after that, we'll be finished. James talks about what he wants to show. And, and I'm so glad he gave these two examples and one illustration. The one example is Abraham. The other example is Rahab. And then the last is a body without works. All right, now look at it. First of all, he says, here's the illustration concerning Abraham. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Now wait a minute. How did uh, Abraham show his faith? Well look in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now, this is very important right now, or else you're going to have a contradiction between James and Paul. James says that Abraham was justified when he offered Isaac. Do you see it? Look at it. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Well, when did Abraham really believe God, and when was it accounted to him for righteousness? When he offered Isaac? No, no. Go back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 15 with me for just a moment and look with me in verse 6. 
God appears to Abraham in Genesis 15. God speaks to Abraham and God gives Abraham a promise. And look, if you will, in verse 6, And he believed in the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, counted it to him, that is to Abraham, for righteousness. All right. Thirty years later, plus, he offered Isaac up. And James says that's when he was justified. But Genesis says he was justified back over here 30 plus years before when he just believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. You see, my dear friend, all James is showing is this, that when he offered up Isaac, three decades later, he was showing what happened way back yonder. That's all he's saying. You see, James is talking about being justified before men. None of us could see the faith in Abraham's heart back here when Abraham believed God in Genesis 15. But brother, I'll guarantee you I can see the faith in Abraham when he offered up Isaac, can't you? See, James is saying, show me your faith. Show me your faith. Show me your faith. Don't tell me that you believe in God and it doesn't affect your life. That's what he's saying. You see, Abraham was saved when he first trusted the Lord. But his faith was demonstrated when he offered up Isaac. He's not saved by faith plus works, but he was saved by faith that works. And then the next illustration is Rahab. Verse 25, Rahab was a harlot. And she became a saint from the shady lady of Jericho to a woman in the lineage of our Savior. Her life was changed. You say, well, I'm not that bad. I'll tell you what, salvation will make a bad man good and a good man better. And friend, you'll be changed. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, here is the illustration. Look, if you will, and this makes it completely clear, and you'll see it right now. Just go back to James chapter 2 with me for just a moment and, and look in, in the last verse, in verse 26 here. And, and this just kind of wraps it all up. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now listen very carefully. What good is a body of truth without the life of the Spirit? You say, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. You take all of your beliefs and you put them together and you've got a body of truth. But if there's no life in that body of truth, it can't move. The body without the Spirit is dead. Now the body in this illustration is your belief. But if that's all you have, and you don't have the Spirit of God in you, then you have no life. What good is a corpse without a spirit? What good is belief without life? Now, if I had a corpse out here, I mean a cadaver, I mean a dead person right here, what would make that person get up and do good works. Wouldn't he have to have life first? He'd have to have life. Now, I could fling his arms around and stand him up and make him walk. What good is that? I'm just manipulating a, a dead corpse. That's redundant, I know, but a corpse, a dead person 
I'm just manipulating him. What is necessary for that person to do good works? What? Life, right? Life. Before he can work, he's got to have life. Now listen to me and never forget it. If he received life and began to walk around up here because he received life, would his walking around give him life? No. He walks around because he has received life. The works don't make him alive. He can't do the works until he gets alive. Once he has life, then he has works. And you'd ask him, why are you alive? He says, I'm alive because I'm walking. I say, no, mister, you're walking because you're alive. That's it. The body without the spirit is dead. Now, what does all that mean? One thing, it means you can just trust Jesus like a little child and you'll be as saved tonight as you'll ever be just by saying an eternal yes to Jesus. And somebody can call it easy believism. They can call it anything they want. But my dear friend, there's only one way to be saved and that is trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I'll tell you one thing, mister. Don't you come around here telling me you're saved if the life of God is not in you. And you walk the walk and you talk the talk because you have received the gift which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God for it. And folks, I just tell you that's such a wonderful salvation. I bless God for it. So I hope you have a no-so and a show-so salvation. I wonder how many tonight could say, Brother Rogers, I'm saved. Would you pray like this? If you're not certain that you're saved, dear God, and just like that lady in that hospital, I want you to pray, but I want you to mean it. Dear God, I know that you love me. Jesus, you died to save me. You promised to save me if I would trust you. I do trust you. Right now, this moment, I trust you. I trust you, Lord like a little child, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Save me, Jesus. Would you ask him? Save me, Jesus. Save me. I trust you. I do. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Pray that way. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I receive it by faith, and that settles that you're now my Lord my Savior, my God, my friend, forever. And Lord Jesus, because you died for me, I will live for you. And because you hung naked on a cross for me, I'll not be ashamed of you. In your holy name I pray. Amen. If you would like to learn more about how you can know Jesus or deepen your relationship with Him, simply click the Discover Jesus link on our website, lwf.org. For a copy of this message or additional resources, visit our online store at lwf.org or call 1-800-274-5683. Thank you.